Hello, welcome back to Women in the Word. I'm happy to be here with you today. I'm Lynn Kitchens and ready to open John's letters with you. And I just love learning more about John last week. Wasn't that great? Uh, I wanted to read what one very opinionated author had to say about John. He says, we always think of John as being that little ladylike apostle who carried a handkerchief in his sleeve. I don't know how the rumor got started that John was that kind of man unless it began in the Middle Ages when an artist painted him with curls. But our Lord called John a son of thunder. If John and that artist meet in heaven on the corner of Glory Avenue and Hallelujah Boulevard, I tell you that artist is going to know what thunder is. Because I think John's going to level with him and say, what's the big idea of giving the world the impression that I was a sissy? <laughs> you know, Danita, Danita taught us last week that we know John was a son of thunder, but he was transformed by his relationship with Jesus Christ into a humble man, but not a weak one. He demonstrated godly strength. He demonstrated great resolve. He demonstrated this great love for the church of Jesus Christ, and we see that in his letters. In fact, these letters he probably wrote to, they were probably the children and the grandchildren of the very first Christians. And you know, when you think about that, how much time had gone by, probably some of that early thrill and excitement of the faith had sort of worn off a bit. We see later in Revelation that Christ has a rebuke about that for the church of Ephesus. Look on your verse sheet. He says, I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Part of this reason was we know that there were false teachers in the church. Um, John, in these letters, calls them antichrists. Paul told the Ephesians that this would happen. Look back on your verse sheet at Acts 20. Paul said, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Christianity was in danger of being changed. The false leaders thought, we're improving it. We're giving it some intellectual respectability. We are aligning it with these secular philosophies, and I thought, well, we're doing the same thing today, these very same things. And their belief system led them to deny that Jesus is the Christ. They also denied the incarnation of Christ because they believed flesh is evil. How could the Son of God become flesh? So all these things were swirling around in the early church. These people also claimed that they had special knowledge. That still goes on today. We got our knowledge. Special knowledge. So John wants to battle these lies of the teachers, and he also wants to just renew that excitement in the faith for those Christians in this early church. They wanted to, he wanted to really deepen their fellowship with God, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. And so just so we know, when I talk about fellowship with God, what I mean by that is a deep 
relationship with God, sharing your heart with God, talking, listening, adoring, pleading, crying, trusting. That's what it means to walk in fellowship with God. It's such a glorious prospect to have fellowship with the living God. You know, I was looking out my kitchen window this week and, and the clouds, have you noticed how beautiful the clouds have been lately and the clouds and the light on the clouds and I'm listening to the birds and looking at the trees and thinking, our creator is unbelievable and I get to fellowship with him. What a glorious prospect we all have. In our passages today, John wants the church to understand this and the realities of that fellowship with God. And specifically, he's going to talk today about sin because sin blocks our fellowship with God and there's a right way and a wrong way to approach this sin. Because our sin poses a problem when it comes to fellowship, but God has a plan. John wants him to know Right ways and wrong ways to look at it. One way is going to lead to communion with God, and the other ways are not. So John wants to begin by first reminding them how great our God is. So look at 1 John 1, verse 5. John says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Fellowship with God begins with a true perspective of who God is. And we read, um, we talked about it the very first week, about how John said, we were with Jesus. We touched him, we held him, we heard from him. We were a part, we saw him. So right now he's going to tell us in this verse about the heard part. He's elaborating what Jesus himself said, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No sin, no evil, no darkness can touch him, including ours, because he is light. So what does that mean, that God is light? Here's some thoughts. Number one, God is light speaks of the radiant glory of God. Remember, we've studied the Mount of Transfiguration when John is with Jesus and Matthew tells us that as they were looking at Jesus, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, Matthew tells us. God's glory is blindingly light. Two, the fact that he's light reveals the power of God. His, how he is a revealer is a better way to put it, the revealing power of God, because light illuminates the darkness. In the dark, we may have dirty hands. We don't know it until we get a flashlight and look at them. That's what God does. He exposes sin that we don't see. I read this uh, cute poem. I thought this part was great. Our thoughts lie open to God's sight, naked to his glance. Our secret sins are in the light of your pure countenance. That's what light does. In fact, I wrote secret sin down here is open scandal in heaven. (laughs) 
Thirdly, God is light means that he's holy, the holiness of God. He's stainless, he's pure, he moves without a shadow following him. No darkness ever comes near him because he's holy and nothing exists in his character that impinges on his holiness. But you know, all these wonderful things about God are also our problem because the light that God is is in direct conflict with the dark that we are. Romans 3, 23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even as followers of Jesus, we have these dark shadows behind us. In the future, we're gonna have some dark shadows in front of us. How in the world can we who are sinful have fellowship with this kind of a God? That's what I was thinking when I was looking out of my kitchen window. I'd had many bad attitudes that week and I was having to talk to God about him as I looked out the window because I don't wanna be in that darkness. There's one more explanation though of God being light that can encourage us and that is the guidance of God. How lost would we be without the guidance of God? Even take a second to think to yourself, what if I'd never come to God? Where would we be today? His light lights a path for us. It's a good path. It's a true path. It's his path. And he has a plan to deal with our sin so we can have that relationship with him, a meaningful one. That's John's message today. So first he shared who God is, because we have to understand that to get to fellowship. So next he's going to expose a foolish plan of man when man decides to lower God to his level. Let's look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. Okay, here's something amazing. Did you notice he says in here twice, if we say we, this humble, incredible, I don't know, humble word that God is using, including himself and all the apostle as sinners with the potential to continue to sin. John is getting that right up front. And I was thinking, let's just imagine right now, John's in a church pew, he's gathering up his worship folder, he hears two guys behind him, in the pew behind him talking, and he hears one of them say what this was in verse six here, hey, I'm having some really great fellowship with God right now. We're like this, God and I. And then John thinks to himself, hey, I know that one just lied on his tax return. This one just got drunk at a wedding. So in essence, they're boasting that fellowship is possible while living in unrepentant sin. I think John would have no problem turning around and saying, that's a lie. So he's telling the church here because this is what's going on in the church among some of the people. You know why it's a lie? Because John says living in sin with no remorse means we are actually living in the darkness. And the word walk in verse six, walking in the darkness, means a course of life. To walk means you've chosen this pattern, this course of life. And so he's gonna right off the bat remind them, I just told you who God is. I'm gonna tell you again, there is no darkness in him. 
No darkness, none. What does light have to do with dark? What does purity have to do with impurity? Truth with error. The ways of God and the ways of Satan. How can we attempt to come to God deliberately carrying a bag full of our sins? Casually carrying them. You know, when I moved to Texas, I had left behind me a bunch of little plants I was growing in my home in, outside of Chicago, in these little vases and pots or whatever. And after I was here, well, I decided to go back home and visit. And I looked at those and thought, I need to take those back to Texas. Why did I think that? <laughs> I have no idea. I could have bought plants here, but these plants <laughs> meant something to me. So I take these potted plants, put them in a brown paper sack, go to the airport carrying this, walk down the aisle of the airplane, and of course the bottom of the brown paper sack falls out, and my plants go rolling and Dirt goes flowing everywhere. And I'm like scooting it under the seats. Very humiliating. That's what it looks like to God when we come to him clinging to our sins, thinking they don't matter, having no plan to get rid of them. And we're in his presence, and we don't know that the bottom's fallen out of that bag, and our sin is surrounding us. When we believe that doesn't matter, it means we've lost sight of who God is. Perfect, holy, glorious. Those truths begin to elude us. We assume God is just fine with me because he loves me just the way I am. And we don't even know that we're trying to lower God to our own level because, well, he wants me happy. This makes me happy because he's like a grandpa in a rocking chair in the sky winking at my sins. <laughs> Have you heard anyone ever say that? Uh, my husband, Ted, had a garden this year. Off and on, we try a garden. We get maybe a tomato and a pepper. <laughs> this year, we got about 10 tomatoes. They are only this big. We don't know why. Anyway, so the other day, he brought up a couple cucumbers. Now, they were white, but they look like cucumbers, sort of. So I sliced them up. Our kids were coming over. I thought these would be good with some dip on them. And then we took a bite. And they were the most bitter thing you've ever tasted. So then I remembered Noni, my grandmother, used to peel cucumbers, slice them, put them in vinegar that you've sweetened with sugar. So I did that, put them in overnight. Next day, Ted took one out, took a bite of it, and just sat there. I thought... They must be sweet now. And all of a sudden he goes, whoa! <laughs> they were still bitter. That's kind of what we do. We try to rationalize and excuse our sin. We think we're sweetening up our sins when we rationalize them. They are still bitter in God's eyes. 
My wonderful granddaughter, Alice, is five, and um, she has a cat she named Lava. And that cat had eight kittens, and so sweet Cassie, my daughter, and Alice, and the whole family been taking care of all these cats, and every once in a while, it's hard for Alice when she's holding a cat, and it says, I wanna get down, and starts moving. She just clings even tighter, and she gets a scratch or two on her face, which has been kind of driving me crazy because I'm looking at my granddaughter's beautiful face and I'm worried about it. So she is so tired of me talking to her about it. I'm like, what do you do when a cat starts doing this? You drop it. You drop it and get it away from your face. So the other day she was over and I was starting one of my lectures and uh, <laughs> I started thinking how much she loves the movie Frozen. She sees, never sat and watched the whole thing, but pieces of it. She loves Elsa. She loves Anna. And I thought to myself, they have these, you know, perfect faces. And I said, you know, Alice. <laughs> Look at Anna and Elsa. They don't have a scratch on their face. <laughs> and Alice said, they don't have cats. A good rationalization. When we rationalize our sins, which scratching is not a sin, but we can get scars in our lives when we make excuses for all the sins that we've done. Praise God. God has a plan for that. He offers us his way. Let's look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There can be an avenue of real fellowship. That avenue is the light itself. When we're living in the light where God is, our sins are being continually cleansed through Christ. There can't be walking with God who is light until we choose to walk away from our excuses, walk away from our rationalizations, walk away from a pattern of life we've chosen, and set aside those sins to walk in his light. We can only do this under the power of the light. And you and I all know that. Look on your verse sheet, 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at Ephesians. For at one time you were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, I love too in this verse that John says, walk in the light. He doesn't say walk according to the light. The light is God. That would be overwhelming to think I have to work, walk in perfect accordance. We couldn't do it. It would be impossible to walk exactly like God because he is holy and sinless. Instead, John says, walk in the light. That's about being with the light. That's about responding to the light. 
That's about being open with God, submitting to who he is, and submitting to what he's called us to be. And remember, John's using the word walk again. That means choosing this kind of life, choosing this course of life. When we live this way, John says, our failures and sins are under the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We walk in the light because we are cleansed from our sin, and we are cleansed from our sin because we walk in the light. I'm going to say it again. We walk in the light because we're cleansed from our sin. That's our salvation. We're cleansed from our sin because we walk in the light. That's our sanctification. Continually cleansed. The word is in the present tense. Jesus just keeps on cleansing us. I think it's the best gift in the world. It's what gives our soul rest to know that that is the work of Christ. John says this brings fellowship with one another. He's not talking about the church here. He's talking about, in this context, with one another, me and God, you and God. I like how one man said this, there's a light to which the Christian is journeying, the realm of God's glory. There is a light by which we walk, the words and ways of God himself. And there is a light in which we walk, the highway of holiness. There's another wrong way man may try to approach God. Instead of bringing God down to his level in this approach, man is deceived, thinks he can lift himself up to God's level. This is man's boast. Fellowship with God is possible by me living a sinless life. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. He says again, if we say, and I think, who in the world would say they have no sin? Obviously, false teachers were saying that in the early church. And guess what? Unfortunately, False teachers are still saying that today. Let me read you a quote from televangelist and author Joyce Meyer. She says this. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head that I wasn't a sinner anymore. She's pretty popular, too. Sinless. Lifting herself up to God's level. John had just been insisting on us having a holy walk if we want a fellowship with God, but now he's going to guard the opposite error, and that error is self-righteousness and pride. Claiming to be without sin, John says, denies the truth and makes God out to be a liar because God has taught us the truth about ourselves, the sinful conditions of our hearts. And by using the word we here, again, John wants to silence the lies of the false self-righteous teachers. John, who leaned his head on the shoulder of Jesus on the Last Supper, John, who saw him in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, John, who was looking up at the cross when Jesus said, here's your, here's your uh, mother, John was the caretaker of Mary. John, who was so deeply loved, so deeply involved, 
He's letting the false teachers know, even I cannot claim to be without sin. We can only know the true nature of sin if we know the Word of God and we have His Spirit. It tells us we are born with a sinful nature. This is called our flesh. Let's look at some verses on that. Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Galatians 5, but I say, walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do in Romans. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And if we just left today with this in our mind, we'd all be depressed the rest of the day. Praise God, Christ paid for the penalty of our sins on the cross. He's cleansed us from every spot and stain. Our sins are forgiven and because of that, no longer does our flesh have to control us. In his spirit, we can walk worthy of the Lord. We can produce good fruit, but we can never eradicate the sin nature that lives within us. John wants the church to know how to distinguish between the difference of their position in Christ, which means we're accepted by God, and the position they have on this earth, we are sinners with a sin nature. Once we get that, real fellowship can happen, otherwise it cannot. Look at Proverbs 20. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. If we are deceived into self-righteousness, it doesn't mean that we are free from those sins. One author said this I thought was great. My friend, if you feel you reach the state of perfection, I feel sorry for your spouse. <laughs> it's never going to be the sinless person's fault, whatever happens. The truth of who God is and who we are in comparison, if we understand that, then this kind of self-deception doesn't take place. In fact, isn't it true that the closer you are to God, the more you're aware of your sins? That's a good thing, because we have something to do with them. We can take them to God. That's his offer to us. The way he offers continual fellowship with him, even though we're sinners, let's look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a passage I cling to, you probably cling to. Nothing relieves our hearts more when we're oppressed by our sins to know that God is there wanting to take those, wanting that fellowship with us so we can be free from that shame and that guilt. Did you know there is no other faith on this earth that offers such a gift that God offers us? To be forgiven, we don't follow a list of do's and don'ts. To be forgiven, we don't follow certain regulations. No chance, 
no rituals, no self-abuse to get us right with God, and we will not return to this world as a lizard or a frog to make up for our sins. <laughs> we go to God, the only true God, just like a wayward child goes to his father. A rebellious son may need to go to his father for forgiveness, but his position in the family is still the same. True with us. True with us when we go to God. We're in his family, but he's expecting our confessions. Jesus taught his disciples this. As he taught them to pray, he said, daily confess your sins to God when he said to pray like this. Forgive us our sins and help us to forgive those who've sinned against us. John tells us we can count on God's forgiveness because of who God is as light he is just, and he is faithful. So confessing our sins before this kind of God brings cleansing and forgiveness. And may I just tell you what the Greek word for confess means? It means to say the same thing. So when we go to God, when it comes to our sins, we say the same thing about our sins that God says about them. That is true confession. I don't know if many of you remember um, J. Vernon McGee, who was a great pastor, a great author. He was on the radio. I love to listen to him. He told it like it is. And he talked about knowing a chaplain in his town once, and he saw the chaplain on the street one day, and the chaplain said to him, Brother Vernon, I got sanctified last night. And Brother Vernon said, what does that mean? He said, I have reached a place where I no longer sin. Of course, this interested uh, Vernon, J. Vernon McGee, especially because one of J. Vernon McGee's staff members in his church lived next door to this chaplain. And this chaplain had an RV that was parked halfway into the backyard of this friend of J. Vernon McGee. And one day, the chaplain went... Uh, I'm sorry, J. Vernon McGree's friend went outside and uh, said to the sinless man, could you move your RV off my property? And the sinless man lost his temper, started screaming and yelling and calling him all sorts of names. And then the staff member went back and told uh, J. Vernon McGee about it. He could not wait to meet this chaplain. He finds him one day and he says to him, remember you told me you reached the plane of sinless perfection? I just heard you lost your temper and behaved very unkindly to one of my staff members. And the neighbors, the, the sinless man said, yes, but that's not sin. That was just a mistake. And I knew it was a mistake the minute I did it, so it's not a sin. And J. Vernon McGee put out his hand and said, well, shake my hand, I've reached that plane too. I don't sin, I just make mistakes. I have one problem though, God calls it sin. We have to call our sin what God calls them. You know, and if we didn't, why would we even have a fellowship with God? We wouldn't need him if we thought we were perfect. Look at Proverbs 28. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them 
will obtain mercy. Did you notice back in this verse 9 that John says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness because there will be sins you and I are unaware of. Why? Because we have that sin nature. We won't always know what our sins are. Only God knows the full extent of our unrighteousness. But if we're walking in the light and confessing what God does shine his light on, sin-wise, he's going to cleanse us from all sins, a perfect cleansing, so we don't have to agonize over unseen and unknown sins. You know, I remember I read the story about Martin Luther when he was early in his faith. He agonized over what sins can't I think of that I have to confess. He was tormented night and day. He went to his bishop to confess his sins, hours upon hours, sitting on the floor trying to think of what other kind of sin have I done that maybe I don't know of. And the bishop got so tired of it, he actually sent him out of town once. Hey, why don't you go visit the other bishop and the other? <laughs> Fortunately, Martin Luther finally began to learn about the grace of God and what the light can do. Praise God for that. Okay, let's finish this part of the letter, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, I love how he calls them little children. He loves these people. He loves them like a father loves his children. He's going to call them this seven times in this letter, his little children. He just taught them uh, God offers fellowship, and he did it so they wouldn't sin. It was a warning for those that were boasting in these two wrong areas, and it was a warning for those who might be led astray by these teachings. But John also knew sin is still going to happen, even when we have the best intention. So John has this incredibly unbelievable encouragement for them. Jesus is your advocate. That word means helper. Jesus is our helper before God. He has undertaken our cause before God. I love how this person thought about this. He said this. Christ sits at God's right hand as no silent and inactive spectator. Instead, Christ is industrious. He's a mighty intercessor to prevent the sins of his people making a breach, to preserve a perpetual friendship between God and them. And so we have a friend at court who spreads before the Father the beauty of his merits as the answer to every indictment which Satan plans against us. That's our advocate. You know, I remember when the disciples were all together with Jesus and they were all doing their normal, really mature thing, talking about which one of us is the greatest? At that time... Jesus looked at Peter and said, Simon, Simon. He had to say it twice, I'm sure, because Peter wasn't paying attention. Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, 
that he might sift you like wheat, but I have been praying for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus was Peter's advocate for the future. This is what he's doing for you. This is what he's doing for me. And he can do it. He can take our unrighteousness because he's entirely righteous. He can go before God as our advocate. It suits him with his role as our helper because he's righteous. He speaks on our behalf in the present. He speaks on our behalf for the future. And we should never think to ourselves, I'm not going to God with this one. I don't have a leg to stand on. How can I expect the mercies of God? Verse 2 tells us the answer. Look at verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We can trace all the grace of God on the all-sufficient sacrifice of the cross. It has satisfied God so thoroughly that his grace and mercy are available to all the world. His propitiation means the action of satisfying God. It was met on the cross when he bore our sins. So this very moment, we have this righteous advocate in heaven for us, which means that Jesus not only died for us, he lives for us as well. And he graciously holds open the door, a blessed door that leads us to fellowship with our Father. There is no greater place to be on earth or in heaven than in the presence of God. Look at Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And here's the rest of these lyrics. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire. I long to worship you. I want you more than gold or silver because only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver, the apple of my eye. And God, you're my friend and you're my brother. Even though you are a king, I love you more than any other so much more than anything, you alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We can't believe you. We can't believe how amazing you are. We humble ourselves before you in great joy and thanksgiving, and may we walk in the light as you are the light. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.